0: Thank you. Joaquin is a jeweler in Indianapolis, and he is from Ecuador. I went to see Joaquin and his family before we made our move to Georgia to tell them goodbye. We had a very interesting conversation. Joaquin speaks English very well, but with a very thick accent. You have friends that way that you have to lean in to get everything, and that's not Joaquin. And he looks, well, Latin American. Our conversation turned to prejudice. And I was floored at the experiences that Joaquin and his family told me about. Specifically, his two sons' college age uh, that were there that day. Joaquin told me about going to a high-end Department park store with his wife, Anna. And they went to the fragrance counter, and he went,
1: something's happening here, I'm going to stand right here, I'm sorry.
0: He went to the fragrance counter, and he was going to buy the biggest bottle of Chanel No. 5 that they had. Now, that's expensive. And the sales associate at the counter would not even look their way while they were standing there trying to buy something, and there was no one else there. And finally she came over and asked what they wanted after they asked her to help them. And they pointed to the biggest bottle, Chanel number 5, and she said, that's too expensive, you can't afford it. That was their experience that day. Joaquin owns a jewelry store in Indianapolis, and It's very high-end and very nice. Drives the nicest cars and wears the nice clothes. But to that lady, he was not worthy of being a customer. Of all the stories that he told me that day, that was the mildest and the most church-friendly because there are things I just can't tell you that he told me. His sons, Dennis and Jordy, told me about being followed in stores. They have money, they have lots of money, but their looks cost some people in the Midwest to treat them in unkind ways. Today we're going to talk about prejudice. We'll look at lots of scripture, and then I'm going to encourage you to have something that I call good prejudice. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, through your word, we pray that you would open our eyes and hearts. Through your spirit, we pray every day you would open our eyes and hearts so that we can live the way that you would have us to live in a world that needs you. Father, thank you for this time. Not a coincidence that we are here, but an answer to your divine calling. So, while you have us, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 9 is where I begin, beginning at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest, requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Now, as he was approaching Damascus on a mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Me. Now get up and go into the city, you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not even. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so he can see again. And then we get an honest answer from an honest man that I certainly relate to in verse 13. Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Can you blame Ananias for that response? I certainly can't. But God told him to get over it, and we are told the same thing, too. We are. Here's another example John chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, but Jesus didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. <laughs> he had to go through Samaria on the way, and eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tried, Our tired from a long walk, sat rarely beside the well. Of Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Skipping to verse 27. Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find Jesus talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? We all have our stories, we have all seen it, and perhaps you have experienced prejudice. But these are the disciples, Jesus has handpicked these guys. Shouldn't they overcome the prejudices by now? Shouldn't they know better? It's amazing to me that we can even dare to tell God who he can talk to and who he can't. But that's what they were thinking anyway. Our prejudices can make us miss so very, very much. We can miss blessing after blessing because of our attitudes. The disciples should have celebrated with Jesus this Samaritan woman. Instead, why are we talking to her? Jesus himself encountered this. You remember this scripture from John chapter 1 beginning at verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, Come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida and Andrew and Peter's hometown. And Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And in verse 46, Nazareth exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come see for yourself, over life. We can be the same way, can't we? You have a geographic region of this country or a state in our, or a, a town that you think, oh, I'm not too sure about that. Can anything good come out of Mississippi? Joyce, we think so. We? No. Can anything good come out of Athens? I'll skip that one. Can anything good come out of fill in the Blight? say things like that. Let me tell you about a friend of Liz Grossman. I referred to her as our minister of international evangelism because several years ago, three migrant workers came to our church and they just stood outside in the parking lot not daring to enter the doors. When they saw Liz in the parking lot, she said hello and they began to talk in broken English and they asked, is it okay and They came in. Of course, they said they came in to worship with us. For so long, I focused on that story on Liz and was so proud of her. And referred to her as our Minister of International Evangelism. I failed to focus on the three young men that stood outside. And it made me wonder, why would they do that? And the answer was, because there were some places that they were not home. There were some places where they would not be held. There were some places that they would have been followed. they have been on receiving end of prejudice. It's not a new problem. It's as old as time. And it's not an isolated problem. It is worldwide. In his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi wrote that during the student days, he read the gospel seriously and considered... Converting to Christianity. He believed that in the teachings of Jesus he could find a solution to the caste system that was dividing the people in India. And so one Sunday he decided to attend services at a nearby church and talk to the minister about becoming a Christian. When he entered the sanctuary, an usher refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go and worship with his own people. And so he left. Gandhi left the church and never returned, and wrote in his memoirs, "If Christians have cast differences also, he said, "I might as well remain a Hindu." And that usher's prejudices hurt the cause of Christ in a big, big way. Of all the places that you would think uh, would not harbor such attitudes, you would think church would be a safe zone. I've been so very proud of you, by the way, your loving attitudes and your, and your kindness to, to all who come. But sometimes it's just not so. James chapter 2 tells a story that you know, beginning of verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meetings dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes into who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seed to the rich person, but you say to the poor, Well, you can stand over there or I'll sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom He promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor, and then if the rich will oppress you and drag you to court, aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law that's found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. So the question is, how do we get there? How do we go from the lady's attitude at the makeup counter, the usher's attitude at the church in India, or the disciple's attitude Well, to Jesus' attitude. How do we look at everyone the same? Because we notice differences, don't we? How's God doing it? Well, it's His nature. And we spend a good bit of our lives hoping that we would turn from our nature to God's nature. He must increase, we must decrease. And we still work at it even today, don't we? No matter how many years we have, no matter how many birthdays we have celebrated. I coached varsity soccer at South Ripley High School and loved doing that and loved the boys. It was a co-ed team, and the girls, too. And one day at practice, about halfway through the year, Kyle Buchanan, who I loved, probably was a friend of Taylor's, and he came to our church, and I loved Kyle came to practice with blue hair. I don't know why. Sometimes people do things you don't understand. And I did not know many teenage boys with blue hair. I had a hand once who had blue hair. I, I did <laughs> not know any teenage boys who had hair. If I would have run into him on the street, do you know I would have probably not said anything or Maybe if I was with somebody, said, look at the Smurf coming down the road. I, I might have done that. But because I already had a relationship with him, I learned that day that I could love teenagers with blue hair. And then, not many weeks later, a young man named Ben who played for me came, and he had gotten new piercing up here. He looked like he fell into a tackle box, and I loved Ben before he had all, and then when he came with them, I decided I could love him anyway. And God continues to teach me lessons about, well, how I need to love and how he needs to increase and I need to decrease. The phrase good prejudice. Was failing and she did not remember me. And that's hard if you've gone to visit somebody that you know well and they don't remember. It's hard.
1: We had a nice visit.
0: We talked for a while. And then I got up to leave and she never knew who I was. And I was walking out the door. Helen looked at me and said, I love you. And it hit me like a ton of bricks what she had done. She had shown me good prejudice. Good prejudice is my definition of this. I don't know who you are, but I love you. I don't know who you are, and she did not, but she loved me. And from that day forward, I have tried to live with good prejudice. That's what it is. When Randy was introducing Mark, I don't know if you caught this or not, Randy said, he has a beautiful baritone voice, one of the best I have ever heard, but I'm, do you remember him doing that? And he didn't say the word